Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. What belongs to God, I wonder? What is God owed? And if we can begin to answer those questions, might this also lead us to ask who belongs to God and what does that belonging entail? More than any other gospel, Matthew illumines the teaching ministry of Jesus, telescoping the experience of Christians in his own day with the story of Christ's life. There are many scenes in this gospel where the local and the eternal feel richly intertwined, and the passage we read today is no exception. Following a succession of parables that showcase Jesus as teacher, our present lesson comes amidst a series of trick questions that then showcase Jesus as debater. Zeroing in on today's gospel, at the very top of the scene, we are told that those asking the questions have a malicious intent. They want to entrap Christ in his own words. Centering the conversation on a wedge issue, they lob a controversial topic into the foreground and say, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Controversial as these words are meant to be, it should be noted that it is not simply the question that is meant to entrap Jesus, but the relevance of that question to the mixed audience in which it is asked. For we are also told that those who gathered to hear the answer included not just Pharisees, but Herodians as well. And the reason that matters is that the Pharisees knew that they and the Herodians stood on opposing sides of the issue this question represents. You see, the Herodians are named as such because they were supporters of the family of Herod the Great, a monarchy that ruled only by favor of the occupying Roman authority. Thus, the Herodians very much support the payment of taxes to Rome in service of a status quo that they are quite eager to maintain. Conversely, the Pharisees hated the tax. Though it was administered through Jewish authorities, the funds levied placed an enormous economic burden on the already impoverished residents of first century Palestine. So in short, what this means is that, is that if Jesus answers yes in support of the tax, he risks alienating Jews groaning under the weight of oppression. But if he answers no and opposes the tax, he could be seen as an insurrectionist, a rebel who fosters sedition and anarchy. However, as the debate plays out, what we soon come to know is that Jesus calls their bluff. He gives an answer that transcends the narrow limits of their thinking. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's, he says. In other words, the emphasis is not so much on one party being right and one party being wrong, but instead, what Jesus seems to be saying is that the question is larger than either the Pharisees or the Herodians want to acknowledge. The move is a masterstroke that relativizes temporal authority under and against the unending reign of God. Yet what it also does is take us back to the questions I began with, 
What belongs to God, I wonder? What is God owed? Some familiar texts offer answers to these questions. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read that, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the Nicene Creed, which we confess together week after week, we pray, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. In the words of our prayer book, in the prayers offered at a time of death, we say, Depart, O Christian soul, out of this world, in the name of God the Father Almighty, who created you. What belongs to God? What is God owed? Everything, it would seem. Or to put it in the words of Dorothy Day, when you give to God what belongs to God, there is precious little left for Caesar. That being said, beyond raising our eyes to the vast immensity of God's dominion, I think there is more to be gleaned from Jesus' reply. Weaving a thread through the eternal and the local, the invitation to give to God what is God's lifts up the power of every baptized person to make the world new. The point of the passage is not about choosing one faction over another. It's not about choosing one seemingly correct answer over one seemingly flawed answer. The response, and therefore the orientation that Jesus offers, is much greater than the staged confines of this debate. It's much larger than a simple choice between A or B. Because when we make it about A or B, when we lean into the seduction of black and white thinking, we evade the real work that God is calling us to do. By setting up camp on one end of a binary, we run the risk of making too much of our own thinking, closing our ears to the voice of God that cries out in the other. The overarching message of the gospel is not a story that lauds fracture and division fueled by how right we think we are, but a vision of a world transformed and the union that can only come when we take on Christ's mind as our own. What belongs to God? Nothing short of your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole life. Who belongs to God? Nothing short of every person you meet. Although alongside these words, I think we are also cautioned against the pitfalls of a false unity, against pleas to come together that fail to reckon with the dead idols we worship all the time. At a pivotal point in our nation's history, we have deep work to do about the thoughts, patterns, and actions we are making habitual in these days. It's a summons that should beg us to wonder, in every word spoken, in every encounter engaged, whether it is my will or thy will that is being done. Yet with that, I think today's gospel lesson is also laden with joy because it reminds us that we are inheritors of an unending invitation to see the earth as God sees it and to make the world new. By laying down our nets and following, by living cruciform lives, by making Alleluia our song, we can take our place in that spirit of belonging. Like a brush to a painter or a bow to a violinist, we can be instruments who make landscapes, who make symphonies of our days, 
in line with the vision of that great artist who created everything that is. By taking our place in that spirit of belonging, we can be transformed. By taking on a disposition of service and sacrifice, we can allow God to take the common and the ordinary and make it holy. In the same way that bread and wine become transformed at the altar through the power of the divine, the potential is also there for the material of your body and your blood to be transformed when you offer yourself to the one whose power working within us can do infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. When you live in the Spirit's tether, when you pick up your cross, there and only there can you experience the perfect freedom, the elegant abandon that abides alongside a life surrendered to Christ. And nothing, absolutely nothing, is more beautiful than that because there you will find the answer only you can live. What belongs to God? Nothing short of your whole life. Who belongs to God? Nothing short of every person you meet. Amen.